0: And now, Chapter 13 of H. Ryder Haggard's King Solomon's Mines, The Attack. Slowly, and without the slightest appearance of haste or excitement, the three columns crept on, when within about five hundred yards of us the main or center column halted at the root of a tongue of open plain which ran up into the hill. "'to enable the other two to circumvent our position, "'which was shaped more or less in the form of a horseshoe, "'the two points being towards the town of Loo, "'their object being, no doubt, "'that the threefold assault should be delivered simultaneously.' "'Oh, for a godling!' groaned Good, "'as he contemplated the serried phalanxes beneath us. "'I would clear the plain in twenty minutes.' "'We have not got one,' "'so it's no use yearning for it. "'But suppose you try a shot, Quartermain. "'See how near you can go to that tall fellow "'who appears to be in command. Two to one you miss him, "'and an even sovereign, to be honestly paid, "'if ever we get out of this, "'that you don't drop the ball within ten yards.' "'This piqued me. "'So, loading the express with solid ball, "'I waited till my friend walked some ten yards out from his force "'in order to get a better view of our position.' "'accompanied only by an orderly. "'And then, lying down and resting the express upon a rock, "'I covered him. "'The rifle, like all expresses, was only sighted to 350 yards, "'so to allow for the drop in trajectory, "'I took him halfway down the neck, "'which ought, I calculated, to find him in the chest. "'He stood quite still and gave me every opportunity. "'But whether it was excitement or the wind,' Or the fact of the man being a long shot. "'I don't know, but this was what happened. "'Getting dead on, as I thought, a fine sight, I pressed, "'and when the puff of smoke had cleared away, "'I, to my disgust, saw my man standing unharmed, "'whilst his orderly, who was at least three paces to the left, "'was stretched upon the ground, apparently dead. "'Turning swiftly, the officer I had aimed at "'began to run towards his force, in evident alarm.' "'Bravo, Quartermain,' sang out good. "'You frightened him.' "'This made me very angry, for, if possible to avoid it, "'I hate to miss in public. "'When one can only do one thing well, "'one likes to keep up one's reputation in that thing. "'Moved quite out of myself at my failure, I did a rash thing. "'Rapidly covering the general as he ran, "'I let drive with the second barrel.' THE POOR MAN THREW UP HIS ARMS AND FELL FORWARD ONTO HIS FACE. THIS TIME I HAD MADE NO MISTAKE, AND I SAY IT AS PROOF OF HOW LITTLE WE THINK OF OTHERS WHEN OUR OWN PRIDE OR REPUTATION ARE IN QUESTION. I WAS BRUTE ENOUGH TO FEEL DELIGHTED AT THE SIGHT. THE REGIMENTS WHO HAD SEEN THE FEAT cheered WILDLY AT THIS EXHIBITION OF THE WHITE MAN'S MAGIC, WHICH THEY TOOK AS AN OMEN OF SUCCESS, WHILE THE FORCE TO WHICH THE GENERAL HAD BELONGED, WHICH INDEED, AS WE AFTERWARDS ASCERTAINED, HE HAD COMMANDED, began to fall back in confusion. Sir Henry and Good now took up their rifles and began to fire, the latter industriously browning the dense mass before him with a Winchester repeater. And I also had another shot or two, with the result that so far as we could judge, we put some eight or ten men hors de combat before they got out of range. Just as we stopped firing, there came an ominous roar from our far right, then a similar roar from our left, the two other divisions were engaging us. At the sound, the mass of men before us opened out a little and came on towards the hill up this bit of bare grassland at a slow trot, singing a deep-throated song as they advanced. We kept up a steady fire from our rifles as they came, Ignosi joining in occasionally, and accounting for several men, but of course producing no more effect upon that mighty rush of armed humanity than he who throws pebbles does on the advancing wave. On they came, with a shout and the clashing of spears. Now they were driving in the outposts we had placed among the rocks at the foot of the hill. After that, the advance was a little slower, for though as yet we had suffered no serious opposition, the attacking force had to come uphill, and came slowly to save their breath. Our first line of defense was about halfway up the side. Our second... Fifty yards farther back, "'while our third occupied the edge of the plain. "'On they came, shouting their war cry, "'Twala! Twala! "'Chiel! Chiel! "'Twala! Twala! Smite! Smite! "'Ignosi! Ignosi! "'Chiel! Chiel!' answered our people. "'They were quite close now, "'and the tolas, or throwing knives, "'began to flash backwards and forwards.' "'and now with an awful yell, the battle closed in. "'To and fro swayed the mass of struggling warriors, "'men falling thick as leaves in an autumn wind. "'But before long the superior weight of the attacking force began to tell, "'and our first line of defense was slowly pressed back "'till it merged into the second. "'Here the struggle was very fierce, "'but again our people were driven back and up, "'till at length, within twenty minutes of the commencement of the fight, our third line, came into action. But by this time, the assailants were much exhausted and had besides lost many men killed and wounded, and to break through that third impenetrable hedge of spears proved beyond their powers. For a while, the dense mass of struggling warriors swung backwards and forwards in the fierce ebb and flow of battle, and the issue was doubtful. Sir Henry watched the desperate struggle with a kindly eye, and then without a word he rushed off, followed by Good and flung himself into the hottest of the fray. As for myself, I stopped where I was. The soldiers caught tight of his tall form as he plunged into the battle, and there rose a cry, Nanzia and Kubu! Nanzia! From that moment the issue was no longer in doubt. Inch by inch, fighting with desperate gallantry, the attacking force was pressed back down the hillside till at last it retreated upon its reserves in something like confusion. At that moment, too, a messenger arrived to say that the left attack had been repulsed, and I was just beginning to congratulate myself that the affair was now over for the present, when, to our horror, we perceived our men who had been engaged in the right defense being driven towards us across the plain, followed by swarms of the enemy, who had evidently succeeded at this point. Ignosi, who was standing by me, took in the situation at a glance and issued a rapid order. Instantly, the reserve regiment round us, called the Greys, extended itself. Again, Ignosi gave a word of command, which was taken up and repeated by the captain. And in another second, to my intense disgust, I found myself involved in a furious onslaught upon the advancing foe. Getting as much as I could behind Ignosi's huge frame, I made the best of a bad job and toddled along to be killed, as though I liked it. In a minute or two, the time seemed all too short to me. We were plunging through the flying groups of our men, who had once began to reform behind us. And then I am sure I do not know what happened. All I can remember is a dreadful rolling noise of the meeting of shields and the sudden apparition of a huge ruffian, whose eyes seemed literally to be starting out of his head, making straight at me "'with a bloody spear. "'But, and I say it with pride, "'I rose to the occasion. "'It was an occasion before which most people "'would have collapsed once and for all. "'Seeing that if I stood where I was "'I must be done for, "'I, as the horrid apparition came, "'flung myself down in front of him too cleverly, "'so cleverly that, being unable to stop himself, "'he took a header right over my prostrate form. "'Before he could rise again, I had risen and settled the matter from behind, with my revolver. Shortly after this, somebody knocked me down, and I remember no more of the charge. When I came to, I found myself back at the copple, with good bending over me with some water in a gourd. "'How do you feel, old fellow?' he asked, anxiously. I got up and shook myself before answering. "'Pretty well, thank you,' I answered. "'Thank heaven! When I saw them carry you in, I felt quite sick. I thought you were done for.' "'Not this time, my boy. I fancy I only got a rap on the head, which knocked me out of time. How has it ended?' "'They are repulsed at every point for the time. The loss is dreadfully heavy. We've lost quite two thousand killed and wounded, and they must have lost three. Look, there's a sight.' And he pointed to long lines of men advancing by fours. In the center of, and being borne by each group of four, was a kind of hide tray, of which a Cucuana force always carried a quantity, with a loop for a handle at each corner. On these trays, and their number seemed endless, lay wounded men, who, as they arrived, were hastily examined by the medicine men, of whom ten were attached to each regiment. Hi, everyone. just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. If the wound was not of a fatal character, the sufferer was taken away and attended to as carefully as circumstances would allow. But if, on the other hand, the wounded man's condition was hopeless, what followed was very dreadful, though doubtless it was the truest mercy. One of the doctors, under pretense of carrying out an examination, swiftly opened an artery with a sharp knife and in a minute or two the sufferer expired painlessly. There were many cases that day in which this was done. In fact, it was done in most cases when the wound was in the body for the gash made by the entry of the enormously broad spears used by the Cucuanas generally rendered recovery hopeless. In most cases, the poor sufferers were already unconscious and in others, the fatal nick of the artery "'was done so swiftly and painlessly that they did not seem to notice it. "'Still it was a ghastly sight, and one from which we were glad to escape. "'Indeed, I never remember one which affected me more than seeing those gallant soldiers "'thus put out of pain by the red-handed medicine men, "'except, indeed, on an occasion when, after an attack, "'I saw a force of Swazis burying their hopelessly wounded alive.' Hurrying from this dreadful scene to the farther side of the copy, we found Sir Henry, who still held a bloody battle axe in his hand. Ignosi, Infidus, and one or two of the chiefs in deep consultation. Thank heavens, here you are, Quartermain. I can't quite make out what Ignosi wants to do. It seems that, though we've beaten off the attack, Twala is now receiving large reinforcements and is showing a disposition to invest us with a view of starving us out. That's awkward. Yes, especially as Infidus says that the water supply has given out. My lord, that is so, said Infidus. The spring cannot supply the wants of so great a multitude, and is failing rapidly. Before night we shall all be thirsty. Listen, Macumazahn, Thou art wise, and hast doubtless seen many wars in the lands from whence thou camest. "'that is, if indeed, they make wars in the stars. "'Now tell us, what shall we do? "'Twala has brought up many fresh men "'to take the place of those who have fallen, "'but Twala has learnt a lesson. "'The hawk did not think to find the heron ready, "'but our beak has pierced his breast. "'He will not strike at us again. "'We too are wounded, and he will wait for us to die. "'He will wind himself round us like a snake round a buck.' AND FIGHT THE FIGHT OF SIT-DOWN. I HEAR YOU, I SAID. SO, MACUMASAN, THOU seest WE HAVE NO WATER HERE, AND BUT LITTLE FOOD, AND WE MUST CHOOSE BETWEEN THESE THREE THINGS, TO LANGUISH LIKE A STARVING LION IN HIS DEN, OR TO STRIVE TO BREAK AWAY TOWARDS THE NORTH, OR, AND HERE HE ROSE AND POINTED toward THE DENSE MASS OF OUR FOES, TO LAUNCH OURSELVES STRAIGHT AT TWALA'S THROAT, in Kubu, the great warrior, for today he fought like a buffalo in a net, "'and Twala's soldiers went down before his axe like corn before the hail. "'With these eyes I saw it. And Kubu says, Charge, but the elephant is ever prone to charge. "'Now what says Makumazan, the wily old fox who has seen much "'and loves to bite his enemy from behind?' "'The last word is in Ignosi the king.' "'for it is a king's right to speak of war. "'But let us hear thy voice, O Macumazan, "'who watchest by night, "'and the voice, too, of him of the transparent eye.' "'What sayest thou, Ignosi?' I asked. "'Nay, my father,' answered our quondam servant, "'who now, clad as he was in the full panoply of, of savage war, "'looked every inch a warrior king. "'Do thou speak, and let me who am but a child in wisdom beside thee, hearken to thy words. Thus abjured I, after taking hasty counsel with Good and Sir Henry, delivered my opinion briefly to the effect that, being trapped, our best chance, especially in view of the failure of our water supply, was to initiate an attack upon twalla's forces. And then I recommended that the attack should be delivered at once, before our wounds grow stiff, and also before the sight of Twala's overpowering force caused the hearts of our soldiers to wax small like fat before a fire. Otherwise, I pointed out, some of the captains might change their minds, and making peace with Twala, desert to him, or even betray us into his hands. This expression of opinion seemed, on the whole, to be favorably received. Indeed, among the Kukuanas, my utterances met with a respect which has never been accorded to them before or since. But the real decision as to our course lay with Ignosi, who, since he had been recognized as rightful king, could exercise the almost unbounded rights of sovereignty, including, of course, the final decision on matters of generalship, and it was to him that all eyes were now turned. At length, after a pause, during which he appeared to be thinking deeply, he spoke. In Kubu, Makumazan, and Bhagwan, "'brave white men, "'and my friends, Infidus, my uncle, and chiefs, "'my heart is fixed. "'I will strike at Twala this day "'and set my fortunes on the blow, "'I and my life, my life and your lives also. "'Listen!' "'Thus will I strike. "'Ye see how the hill curves round like the half-moon, "'and how the plain runs like a green tongue toward us within the curves. "'We see,' I answered. "'Good! It is now midday, and the men eat and rest after the toil of battle. "'When the sun has turned and traveled a little way towards the dark, "'let thy regiment, my uncle, advance with one other down to the green tongue.' "'and it shall be that when Twala sees it, "'he shall hurl his force at it to crush it. "'But the spot is narrow, "'and the regiments can come against thee "'one at a time only. "'So shall they be destroyed one by one, "'and the eyes of all Twala's army "'shall be fixed upon a struggle "'the like of which has not been seen "'by living man. "'And with thee my uncle shall go "'in Kubu, my friend, "'that when Twala sees his battle-axe "'flashing in the first rank of the greys, "'His heart may grow faint. "'And I will come with the second regiment, "'that which follows thee, "'so that if ye are destroyed, "'as it may happen, "'there may be yet a king left to fight for. "'And with me shall come Macumazahn the wise.' "'It is well, O king,' said Infidus, "'apparently contemplating the certainty "'of the complete annihilation of his regiment "'with perfect calmness. "'Truly these Kukuanas are a wonderful people.' Death has no terrors for them when it is incurred in the course of duty. And while the eyes of the multitude of Twala's regiments are thus fixed upon the fight, went on Ignosi, behold, one third of the men who are left alive to us, six thousand men, shall creep along the right horn of the hill and fall upon the left flank of Twala's force, and one third shall creep along the left horn. "'and fall down upon Twala's right flank. "'And when I see that the horns are ready to toss Twala, "'then will I, with the men who are left to me, "'charge home in Twala's face. "'And if fortune goes with us, the day will be ours, "'and before night drives her horses from the mountains, "'we shall sit in peace at Lou. "'And now let us eat and make ready, "'and infiduce, do that I prepare, "'that the plan be carried out, and stay.' Let my white father Bogwan go with the right horn, that his shining eye may give courage to the men. The arrangements for the attack thus briefly indicated were set in motion with a rapidity that spoke well for the perfection of the Kukuwana military system. Within little more than an hour, rations had been served out to the men and devoured. The three divisions were formed. The plan of the attack explained to the leaders, and the whole force, with the exception of a guard left with the wounded, now numbering about 18,000 men in all, was ready to be put in motion. Presently Good came up and shook hands with Sir Henry and myself. "Goodbye, you fellows,' he said. "'I'm off with the right wing according to orders, "'and so I've come to shake hands in case we should not meet again, you know?' He added, significantly. "'We shook hands in silence, and not without the exhibition,' Of as much emotion as Englishmen are wont to show.' "'It is a queer business,' said Sir Henry, "'his deep voice shaking a little. "'And I confess I never expect to see tomorrow's sun. "'As far as I can make out, "'the greys with whom I am to go "'are to fight until they are wiped out "'in order to enable the wings to slip round unawares "'and out "'Well, so be it. "'At any rate, "'it will be a man's death. Goodbye, old fellow. "'God bless you, "'and hope you will pull through "'and live to collar the diamonds. "'But if you do, take my advice "'and don't have anything more to do with the pretenders.' "'In another second, "'Good had wrung us both by the hand and gone, "'and then Infidus came up "'and led off Sir Henry to his place "'in the forefront of the greys, "'while, with many misgivings, For a happy price. Go to your happy price. price line. Chapter 14. The Last Stand of the Greys. In a few more minutes, the regiments destined to carry out the flanking movements had tramped off in silence, keeping carefully under the lee of the rising ground in order to conceal the movement from the keen eyes of Tuala Scouts. "'Half an hour or more was allowed to elapse "'between the setting out of the horns or wings of the army "'before any movement was made by the Greys "'and the supporting regiment, known as the Buffaloes, "'which formed its chest "'and which were destined to bear the brunt of the battle. "'Both of these regiments were almost perfectly fresh "'and of full strength, "'the Greys having been in reserve in the morning.' and having lost but a small number of men in sweeping back that part of the attack which had proved successful in breaking the line of defense, on the occasion when I charged with them and got knocked silly for my pains. As for the Buffaloes, they had formed the third line of defense on the left, and as the attacking force at that point had not succeeded in breaking through the second, I had scarcely come into action at all. Infidus, who was a wary old general, and knew the absolute importance of keeping up the spirits of his men on the eve of such a desperate encounter, employed the pause in addressing his own regiment, the Greys, in poetical language, in explaining to them the honor that they were receiving in being put thus in the forefront of the battle, and in having the great white warrior from the stars to fight with them in their ranks, and in promising large rewards of cattle and promotion to all who survived in the event of Ignosi's arms being successful. I looked down the long lines of waving black plumes and stern faces beneath them and sighed to think that within one short hour, most, if not all, of those magnificent veteran warriors, not a man of whom was under 40 years of age, would be laid dead or dying in the dust. It could not be otherwise. They were being condemned with that wise recklessness of human life that marks the great general. And often saves his forces and attains his ends to certain slaughter in order to give the cause and the remainder of the army a chance of success. They were foredoomed to die, and they knew it. It was to be their task to engage regiment after regiment of Twala's army on the narrow strip of green beneath us till they were exterminated or till the wings found a favorable opportunity for their onslaught. And yet they never hesitated nor could I detect a sign of fear upon the face of a single warrior. There they were, going to certain death, about to quit the blessed light of day forever, and yet able to contemplate their doom without a tremor. I could not even at that moment help contrasting their state of mind with my own, which was far from comfortable, and breathing a sigh of envy and admiration. Never before had I seen such an absolute devotion to the idea of duty and such a complete indifference to its bitter fruits. Behold your king, ended old Infidus, pointing to Ignosi. Go fight and fall for him, as is the duty of brave men, and cursed and shameful forever be the name of him who shrinks from death for his king, or who turns his back to his enemy. Behold your king, chiefs, captains, and soldiers, Now do your homage to the sacred snake, and then follow on, that Nkubu and I may show ye the road to the heart of Twala's forces. There was a moment's pause, and suddenly there rose from the serried phalanxes before us a murmur like the distant whisper of the sea caused by the gentle tapping of the handles of 6,000 spears against their holders' shields. Slowly it swelled till its growing volume deepened and widened into a roar of rolling noise that echoed like thunder against the mountains and filled the air with heavy waves of sound. Then it decreased and slowly died away into nothing and suddenly out crashed the royal salute. Ignosi, I thought to myself, might well be a proud man that day for no Roman emperor ever had such a salutation from gladiators about to die. Ignosi acknowledged this magnificent act of homage by lifting his battle-axe, and then the Greys filed off in a triple-line formation, each line containing about 1,000 fighting men, exclusive of officers. When the last line had gone some 500 yards, Ignosi put himself at the head of the Buffaloes, which regiment was drawn up in a similar three-line formation, and gave the word to march, and off we went. Aye, needless to say, uttering the most heartfelt prayers that I might come out of that job with a whole skin. Many a queer position have I found myself in, but never before in one quite so unpleasant as the present, or one in which my chance of coming off safe was so small. By the time that we reached the edge of the plateau, the greys were already halfway down the slope, ending in the tongue of grassland that ran up onto the bend of the mountain something as the frog of a horse's foot runs up into the shoe. The excitement in Twala's camp on the plain beyond was very great, and regiment after regiment were starting forward at a long swinging trot in order to reach the root of the tongue of the land before the attacking force could emerge into the plain of Lu. This tongue of land, which was some 300 yards in depth, was even at its root or widest part "'not more than four hundred and fifty paces across, "'while at its tip it scarcely measured ninety. "'The greys, who in passing down the side of the hill "'and onto the tip of the tongue, had formed in column, "'on reaching the spot where it broadened out again, "'resumed their triple-line formation, and then halted dead. "'Then we, that is, the buffaloes, "'moved down the tip of the tongue and took our stand in reserve.' about 100 yards behind the last line of the greys and on slightly higher ground. Meanwhile, we had leisure to observe Twala's entire force, which had evidently been reinforced since the morning attack, and could not now, notwithstanding their losses, number less than 40,000 warriors, moving swiftly up towards us. But as they drew near the root of the tongue, They hesitated, having discovered that only one regiment could advance into the gorge at a time, and that there, some seventy yards from the mouth of it, unassailable except in front, on account of the high walls of boulder-strewn ground on either side, stood the famous Regiment of Greys, the pride and glory of the Kukwana army, ready to hold the way against their forces as the three Romans once held the bridge against thousands. They hesitated and finally stopped their advance. There was no eagerness to cross spears with those three lines of grim warriors who stood so firm and ready. Presently, however, a tall general, with the customary headdress of nodding ostrich plumes, came running up, attended by a group of chiefs and orderlies, being, I thought, none other than Twala himself, and gave an order, and the 1st Regiment raised a shout and charged up toward the greys, who remained perfectly still and silent till the attacking troops were within 40 yards and a volley of tolas, or throwing knives, came rattling among their ranks. Then suddenly, with a bound and a roar, they sprang forward with uplifted spears and the two regiments met in deadly strife. Next second, the roll of the meeting shields came to our ears like the sound of thunder and the whole plain seemed to be alive with flashes of light reflected from the stabbing spears. To and fro swung the heaving mass of struggling, stabbing humanity. But not for long. Suddenly the attacking lines seemed to grow thinner, and then with a slow, long heave, the greys passed over them, just as a great wave heaves up and passes over a sunken ridge. It was done. That regiment, "'was completely destroyed. "'But the greys had but two lines left now. "'A third of their number were now dead. "'Closing up shoulder to shoulder once more, "'they halted in silence and awaited attack, "'and I was rejoiced to catch sight of Sir Henry's yellow beard "'as he moved to and fro, arranging the ranks. "'So he was yet alive. "'Meanwhile we moved up onto the ground of the encounter.' which was cumbered by about 4,000 prostrate human beings, dead, dying, and wounded, and literally stained red with blood. Ignosi issued an order which was rapidly passed down the ranks, to the effect that none of the enemy's wounded were to be killed, and so far as we could see, this order was scrupulously carried out. It would have been a shocking sight if we had had the time to think of it. But now a second regiment, distinguished by white plumes, kilts, And shields was moving up to the attack of the 2,000 remaining greys who stood waiting in the same ominous silence as before till the foe was within 40 yards or so when they hurled themselves with irresistible force upon them. Again there came the awful roll of the meeting shields and as we watched the grim tragedy repeated itself but this time the issue was left longer in doubt indeed It seemed for a while almost impossible that the Greys should again prevail. The attacking regiment, which was one formed of young men, fought with the utmost fury, and at first seemed by sheer weight to be driving the veterans back. The slaughter was something awful, hundreds falling every minute, and from among the shouts of the warriors and the groans of the dying, set to the clashing music of meeting spears, came a continuous hissing undertone of Sagi, Segee! the note of triumph of each victor, as he passed his spear through and through the body of his fallen foe. But perfect discipline and steady and unchanging valor can do wonders, and one veteran soldier is worth two young ones, as soon became apparent in the present case. For just as we thought that it was all up with the greys, and were preparing to take their place so soon as they made room by being destroyed, I heard Sir Henry's deep voice ringing out above the din, and caught a glimpse of his circling battle axe as he waved it high above his plumes. Then came a change. The greys ceased to give. They stood still as a rock, against which the furious waves of spearmen broke again and again, only to recoil. Presently they began to move again, forward this time, as they had no firearms, there was no smoke, so we could see it all. Another minute, and the onslaught grew fainter. Ah, they are men indeed. They will conquer again, called out Agnosi, who was grinding his teeth with excitement at my side. See, it is done. Suddenly, like puffs of smoke from the mouth of a cannon, the attacking regiment broke away in flying groups, their white headdresses streaming behind them in the wind and left their opponents victors indeed. But alas, no more a regiment. Of the gallant triple line, which forty minutes before had gone into action, three thousand strong, there remained at most some six hundred blood-bespattered men. The rest were underfoot. And yet they cheered and waved their spears in triumph, and then, instead of falling back upon us as we expected, they ran forward, for a hundred yards or so, after the flying groups of foemen, took possession of a gently rising knoll of ground, and resuming the old triple formation, formed a threefold ring around it. And then, thanks be to God, standing on the top of the mound for a minute, I saw Sir Henry, apparently unharmed, and with him, our old friend Infidus. Then Twala's regiments rolled down upon the doomed band, and once more, "'the battle closed in. "'As those who read this history "'will probably long ago have gathered, "'I am, to be honest, a bit of a coward, "'and certainly in no way given to fighting, "'though somehow it has often been my lot "'to get into unpleasant positions "'and to be obliged to shed man's blood. "'But I have always hated it "'and kept my own blood as undiminished in quantity "'as possible, "'sometimes by a judicious use of my heels. "'At this moment, however,' For the first time in my life I felt my bosom burn with martial ardor. Warlike fragments from the Ingoldsby legends together with numbers of sanguinary verses from the Old Testament sprang up in my brain like mushrooms in the dark. My blood, which hitherto had been half-frozen with horror went beating through my veins and there came upon me a savage desire to kill and spare not. I glanced round at the serried ranks of warriors behind us and somehow, all, in an instant, began to wonder if my face looked like theirs. There they stood, their heads craned forward over their shields, the hands twitching, the lips apart, the fierce features instinct with the hungry lust of battle, and in the eyes, a look like the glare of a bloodhound when he sights his quarry. Only Ignosi's heart seemed to judge from his comparative self-possession, to all appearance, to beat as calmly as ever, beneath his leopard skin cloak, though even he still kept on grinding his teeth. I could stand it no longer. Are we to stand here till we put our roots, Umbopa, Ignosi, I mean, while Twala swallows our brothers yonder? I asked. Ne Makumazan was the answer. See, now is the right moment. Let us pluck it. As he spoke, a fresh regiment rushed past the ring on the little mound, and wheeling round, attacked it from the hither side. Then, lifting his battle-axe, Ignosi gave the signal to advance, and raising the Kukuwana battle cry, the buffaloes charged home with a rush like the rush of the sea. What followed immediately on this is out of my power to tell. All I can remember is a wild, yet ordered rushing that seemed to shake the ground sudden change of front and forming up on the part of the regiment against which the charge was directed. Then an awful shock, a dull roar of voices and a continuous flashing of spears seen through a red mist of blood. When my mind cleared I found myself standing inside the remnant of the greys near the top of the mound and just behind no less a person than Sir Henry himself. How I got there I had at the moment no idea. Sir Henry afterwards told me that I was borne up by the first furious charge of the buffaloes, almost to his feet, and then left as they in turn were pressed back. Thereon he dashed out of the circle and dragged me into it. As for the fight that followed, who can describe it? Again and again the multitude surged up against our momentarily lessening circle, and again and again we beat them back. To be continued next Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at 1001 Stories for the Road. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back soon.